Well, hey there. Welcome to the Kim Constable podcast. You can hear the smile in my voice this week, can't you? Oh, it's because I have something really, really juicy for you. So last week I was teasing you and telling you that I have the fabulous JP Sears on the podcast today. Now, those of you who know JP will be like, oh my God, she has JP Sears on the podcast. And those of you who don't know JP will be like, huh? Who? So whether you know JP and are like totally excited or whether you're like, who the fuck is JP? Uh, you have to listen to this episode. So let me tell you a little bit about JP Sears. I remember a few years ago, uh, JP came up, I think on my Facebook or something or Instagram and, you know, and he's like a ginger haired, long haired, right? Not there's nothing wrong being ginger. Sorry, JP. But he's like a long haired, gingered comedian. And I remember watching a couple of his videos and I was like, oh, this guy's funny. Yeah. He's like, you know, taking like, you know, concepts like being gluten intolerant or being, you know, yoga or, you know, veganism or whatever. He just takes, you know, things, topics that are kind of controversial or even normal and he makes them funny, right? And I was like, oh, this guy's like really quite funny. He made me laugh. I want to see more of him. And then the more I watched JP, it only took me a couple of uh, watching a few of his things to realize oh, this guy's smart, right? I think I got it from the very first episode. Um, that makes me look smarter, if I admit that, of course. So, uh, but I remember thinking, holy shit, this guy's smart. So I remember thinking what JP does is he takes concepts that everybody knows and understands and has heard of, and he looks at the deeper meaning underneath the concepts. Where are we using this to get attention? Where are we doing this thing, you know, to suffer and to get attention or to blame others? or, you know, just to be an asshole or, you know, really he looks at human behavior. So he takes concepts and he breaks them down out of content into process. And he looks at the human behavior that would underpin what would cause someone to do this behavior in the first place. And then even deeper, what it means to do that behavior to your own life and ultimately to the world. Now, if you've, if I've lost you and you're like, what the fuck, Kim? Like this is literally an intro to a podcast and you've lost me already. I encourage you to stick around and to hear what JP has to say. The reason why I was so excited for this podcast truly is because not to blow my own trumpet here or anything, but any of you guys who listen to this podcast will know that I think a lot deeper about concepts and about life and about the world and human behavior than the average human being. And I know this because I know that you guys love this and that you recognize this because you write to me and you say things to me like you've literally changed my life. I just opened Instagram before I made this intro and a woman had written to me said, I listened to your podcast episode on menopause. I wasn't even going to listen because I'm not even in menopause. And something you said literally made me realize that the reason my daughter is lying to me is because she's scared. You said children only lie when they're fearful. And I realized that the reason why I'm confused as to why my daughter's lying to me, but I've realized that she's lying to me because she's scared and she's scared because I'm angry at her. And she said, you, you probably have saved my daughter, my relationship with my daughter. That is why I do this podcast. That is why I talk about the things that I talk about, why I study human behavior. And it's why I was so excited to have JP on the podcast, because as soon as I started watching his stuff, I realized JP is a kindred spirit. He is a human being who I can project very, very, very deeply into, who I believe acts with the same intentions as me 
and who just wants to make the world a better place. And honestly, this conversation, it's not very often I get to talk to people who think like JP, who have his kind of mind and who think about, you know, concepts on the deep level that he does. And it was such a pleasure and a joy for me. And I know that you're going to love it. And I know that people expected this episode to be very much about, you know, he has a lot of strong opinions on, you know, mask wearing and vaccines and coronavirus and, you know, on, on all different kinds of stuff. And I know people were expecting me to be, you know, probably, oh, this is going to be juicy. I want to hear his views on this. He's going to be controversial. Well, as you probably realize, I very, very, very rarely um, have controversy on this podcast because I like to get to what drives people. What, Why do they do what they do? What makes them the way they are and what's important to them? And that's what I went for in this podcast. I didn't have any questions prepared. Well, just a couple, but I didn't even ask them. I just wanted to have a conversation with someone who I would consider to be one of the smartest men I've ever met. Truly one of the smartest men I've ever met. So it was an honor and a privilege for me to be in this man's company to be able to pick through his mind and that he gave me 60 minutes of his time because it is so valuable. And I was deeply, deeply honored that he chose to spend his time with me. So um, now that I have, you know, completely built him up into some kind of God, <laughs> Adonis, you're going to be, if you have never heard of him, you're like, I'm very curious to meet this guy. I hope that you love him as much as I love him. And I'm going to let you go to the episode now um, and listen to the interview. And I will speak to you again at the end. JP Sears, oh my God, I told you before we started that I was nervous to do this. And there is a little part of me is nervous still, but oh, I have like had this on my calendar for, well, for a couple of weeks now, just waiting for the day when I finally get to talk to you in person. So thank you so much for being here. Hell yeah, sister. I'm happy to be here with you. And thank you for being the awesome, weird human that you are. Here, you don't do very many podcast interviews, so I feel like deeply honored. It was our good friend, Leila Hormozy, connected us, so it's always good, you know, to have a friend who knows a friend, but is there a reason you don't do very many interviews? Yeah, I hate people. They're just the <laughs> worst. No. I, I used to, I, I, I'm, I'm sure I've done well over a thousand podcast interviews, and back several years ago, there was a time where I said yes to every single request, and I... And I loved it. I got to meet so many people. And I did back at the time, I didn't care if someone had a podcast following of one or one million. I, I just loved doing that. And and then of course the seasons change where now my video production schedule, it's amped up, it's busier than ever, which is just what I love. My stand-up comedy, traveling, doing shows, writing. I just did a show a couple nights ago. That's amped up. And I'm a husband, I'm a father now, and I like to take a couple poops throughout the day. So it's just simply the level of demand on my time. And, all, and also I've learned I've got to prioritize my priorities, which, man, I wish the day was at least 30 hours long because I love being a guest on people's podcasts. So now it's basically, you know, I do my podcast, but it's just when I, I've got a, a personal friend or I get connected to someone like you through a personal friend, then then that's what I do. So yeah, yeah that's that's my reason. Oh, I just, I, I love it. And I feel the same. Actually, the demands on your time, that is the one thing about, you know, getting bigger and more successful and having a bigger following is that more people want a piece of you. And you, I just, I sometimes wish there was about 20 of me to go around as well, but there's not. But I feel honestly, deeply honored that you're here. And I wanted to ask you though about your background because you weren't a comedian to start off with, right? I didn't know this about you until Layla told yeah. me actually that your background was in coaching and you were a, a coach. Wasn't that right? Like a personal development coach? 
Indeed. Yeah, it was several different kind of coaches, but, you know, right before I started being a comedian and even into being a comedian, I was a life coach. I started doing comedy, making internet videos back in 2014 and then kept coaching for a couple of years until things kind of really took off and I could you know, make a living doing comedy. But yeah, before that, I was doing life coaching, helping people do emotional healing work. And I got into that realm of coaching because I had been doing a lot of nutrition and lifestyle coaching. Before that, I was doing a lot of exercise coaching. I'm not sure if you've heard of a guy named Paul Check, but he has an institute and I took all his courses, started teaching for him as well. Um, I started with him in my late teens when I was 19. So yeah, health and fitness, wellness, that's always been a personal passion of mine. And that's that's what I started doing as a profession. Um, and while I was doing that, I was also telling myself it would be bad for business to let my natural humor out, certainly in any kind of public way. And that was nothing, it was the dumbest advice I've ever given myself, by the way. Yeah. But it was born out of my insecurities because when I started off, I was 19. And then, you know, I started teaching these courses around the world for Paul Check when I was in my mid-20s. And I was always the youngest guy in the room. Mm-hmm. And I was teaching the courses. So, you know, naturally I had some insecurities. And so I just thought, well, let me make myself look more mature than I actually am by trying to be like literally pretending to be serious instead of letting myself be naturally funny. But looking back, I can see like, oh, that's a huge sign of immaturity, not maturity. So anyway, uh, I think Picasso once said it takes a long time to become young. So -hmm. it took me a while to let myself become young again and let my humor out wherever I go. Like my humor has always been, you know, rampant in my personal life with friends, family, ever since I was a kid, but to let it out in any degree in a public way, professional way, it took me until I was 33 to do that. Oh, you know, I love that. People say to me all the time, um, because I have been known to be quite offensive at times, not because I like to insult people, but just because I'm not afraid to speak my mind. And so people um, people have said to me in the past, or people have said about me, I get a lot of hate online, and they say, oh, I used to like her in the beginning, but now she's just become so arrogant. And so, this is what I've been called recently, uh, so arrogant and, I can't remember other words like that. And I laugh when I, when I recount these stories, and I do on the podcast for people, and I'm like, you know, but what they don't realize is I haven't become more arrogant. I've become more me. I've become less afraid of offending people. And when you're less afraid of offending people and you're, you're happy to just speak your mind, people assume it's arrogance. They assume that, you know, and it's in, in wrong in some way, but it's what, what's quite funny is the more I become me, the more me I infuse the more unapologetically me I am, the more unafraid I am, the more successful I become, the more people follow me, the more money I make. It's astonishing, yeah. isn't it? That people it, hide from this, but actually it's the thing that you need to do to be successful. 100%. Yeah, it, 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 same for me. And if you didn't know anybody, you'd think the path to success is to let yourself be as much you as possible And I think one of the things that we do to weaken ourselves the most is we seek other people's approval. 
anytime we're uh, an approval addict where getting people's approval is much more important to us than us being ourselves. So we modulate, we don't say something that our quick radar says like, well, that might uh, offend like my truth, my, my real self that might offend them. So let me lock that bastard in the closet, my real self. And I'll say like, I'll, I'll take on a level of chameleon based dishonesty say what I think will get that person's approval because that's the psychological junk food I sustain myself on. We've all been there. The question is, when do we grow up out of that? And and it's weird that backward mantra of the approval addict is to basically to be successful, I can't be myself. And that's the, the immature psychology that is human nature, but it's also human nature to grow beyond that, just like it's human nature to not just crawl for the rest of your life, but you learn to walk. So human nature then has us hopefully allow ourselves to evolve to a place where we realize, oh, my path to success is to let myself be myself, not hide my true self in order to get people's approval. And then the other cool thing because you inspire this seeing how you live, Kim, is realizing when we're just like being Mr. and Mrs. Nice Guy, saying all the right things to get people's approval, people don't like us. No. Because they don't know us. They, they might like the facade that we're pretending to be, but they don't fucking like us because we're not exposing the surface area of our true self to them. Probably because we don't like ourselves. That's why we hide our you know, surface area of ourselves from even ourselves. But then when you when you go through life and you through all the cuts, scrapes, bumps, bruises, traumas, you emerge kind of like the phoenix rising. You emerge from the flames of what you've been through. And now you're able to be yourself to a relative large degree of time. Then people can actually like you because you're presenting who you actually are to them. So people that resonate with you can find you and truly like you. And will some people get offended by you? Like, yeah, if they're looking to for approval-based relationships, yes. But the cool thing is they can't, nobody can like you until you express who you really are to the world, in my oh, opinion. It's so beautiful. And you know what I want to know though, okay? You don't get to have the kind of self-awareness that you evidently have well, without a lot of deep personal work and training, but also I'm dying to know about your childhood. What kind of parents did you have? Like, have you connected a lot of who you are now to experiences that you had as a child? I'm really into child psychology. So yeah. I've studied it a lot. So I'm, I'm really interested in people's childhoods. Yeah, I had the worst parents and they were just terrified to say that in case they're <laughs> listening. No, my parents were, uh, they were great. So you know, I've done a bunch of inner child work as well. So I'm guessing you could, you and I could talk for just dozens of hours. So my childhood, it wasn't without challenges on the surface. Life was good for me. And underneath the surface, there's a different story for everybody. There's family secrets. There's, um, you know, alcoholism. There's my parents would split apart, get back together, split apart, get back together. So, um, you know, it, I think at the time, my my childhood wounds and traumas, I didn't know I was getting, you know, wounded in trauma, uh, traumatized. But looking back, and certainly a lot of the work I've done and, and mentors I've had who have helped me 
recover some of my lost past self, I realized like, yeah, I grew up way before my time. I tried to be the parent to my parents, you know, in the house that would certainly feel unstable at times. I tried to bring the stability to the world around me. And, um, and part of how I did that is I would hide my emotions from myself, certainly, but also people around me, because it's kind of like, mm, doesn't feel to, to my child self. It's like, it didn't feel like there's the stability for me to be unstable and feel emotion, feel broken down, feel afraid. So I cut off a lot of emotions to try to give myself, my family, a sense of stability. Not that that works, but as a kid, no, no, no. Mm-hmm. that would be the program I was running. And, and then, you know, something else uh, I know I did a lot of as a child is I'd compensate for my pain and insecurities by making people laugh. Cause you know, it, at the pain, at the core of a lot of my wounds is a sense of I'm not worthy. Yet what I found was if I could make someone laugh, they're smiling at me, they're blaming me for like why they feel happy for a minute. That make me that would make me feel worthy. Of course, that's not sustainable. It doesn't come from within, but I'd get a temporary gratification of like, ah, I'm worthy. Look, I made them laugh. They they like me. I got their like laughter is a form of approval as well as very much an approval addict as a kid. And I pretend like I'm still not, but worked on it. Hopefully I'm less. So because it's not sustainable, I would get a lot of repetitions of always trying to make my parents laugh, teachers laugh, friends laugh. And, uh, and of course, part of that was like, cool, this is actually a source of joy as well. But it was also a way I was compensating for, pain and low self-worth that I didn't know how to deal with directly. So instead I try to escape it by compensating for it by always being funny. It's funny. I remember somebody saying to me years ago that your biggest weakness is also your biggest strength. And I thought it was beautiful because she at the time always struggled with her weight. She was a very successful businesswoman. She had a company that turned over more than $4 million in its second year of business. It was a weight management company, but yet she continually struggled with her weight. She yo-yoed up and down. And she said, your biggest weakness is your biggest strength. And I always, I always thought it was um, a beautiful way to put it. I'm similar in many ways. I, I don't make people laugh, but I had a you know, a seemingly on the surface, wonderful childhood, but a lot of trauma. Parents, very messy divorce, was sent to boarding school at age seven, a very strict boarding school, a lot of rules, a lot of control. And so I grew up wanting to protect the world and wanting to make people feel good because I felt so insecure a lot as a child. I was the youngest, but I always took care of my older siblings. I was always the more, I wasn't responsible as such, but, and so a lot of the work that I do now, people will say, oh, Kim, you know, what you do is so incredible and how you take care of people and look after people, but it really just comes from a real deep sense of wanting to take care of, you know, I want to give people what I always felt I was missing as a child, you know, that, that feeling of security of feeling whole, but then on the, the other side of that, JP, is that adversity is what makes human beings grow. You know, you can't yeah. take away all of your children's adversity. And I think the struggle then whenever, and you, I really want to get into parenting with you as well, because I know you've just had a beautiful little baby boy, Wilder, and I have four kids myself. And so oh, part amazing. of my struggle, say again. 
It's amazing. I didn't know you had four kids. Yeah, four. Yeah. So um, I had four in like six years. So they're 15, 13, yeah, 15, 13, 11, and um, and nine. And so part of my struggle as a wealthy entrepreneur now who has built my own company because of adversity and struggle that I had that made me want to strive and be successful. Now I have a housekeeper and a personal chef who take care of my family and bring my children breakfast in bed. And I'm like, how do I create natural adversity for them to, you know, to, because that is what causes children to grow and to be, you know, entrepreneurs and successful in the world. Obviously we have good values we instill into them, but you know, there is a, a, there is definitely something in, you know, adversity is what causes human beings to grow. And I think that it's a struggle for parents who are successful, but who are also aware to give their children a lot of natural adversity. Have you, have you thought about that as a concept? Like you, you've, you're recently a new parent. So I would love to know, have you thought about the kind of parent you want to be, the way you want to bring Wilder up, the kind of values you want to instill in him, or are you just going to make it up as you go along? Yeah. Uh, yes to both. I've thought about it and I'm sure it'll be made up and, and, and I'll, and I'll share a thought, but first I, I so love your thought that we need adversity. And I do believe we can only be as strong as our adversity is deep. It's just like, I mean, you've got muscles and you realize if you don't give your muscles adversity, not only will they not grow, they won't get stronger, they'll shrink. Yeah. So we inherently know that, but also our psyche is a muscle as well. And we need adversity. And Granted, if you live in an abusive household, that's probably like, hey, I'm in the gym 24-7. I never let myself recover. So the dose, you know, the dose is whether it's too much or right yeah. amount. But so yeah, you know, I I think one of the things I'm vigilant of that I don't want to do to my child is give him the opposite problems than what I had. So I think it's very easy. We can look at our childhoods and uh, this never happened to me or this always happened to me. So I'm going to make for damn sure the opposite is true for my children. And the pendulum swings the other way. So now the adversity isn't like, Hey, um, I'm not never there for my son the way my dad was never there for me. Now it's like, Hey, I breathed down his neck and I'm <laughs> suffocating him. And it's like, he just can't have a sense of self because I'm all over him even though that's like born out of a lot of love, but also is born out of undealt with pain. Mm-hmm. And Carl okay. Jung, he's said the, the greatest burden a child must bear is the unlived life of the parent. So mm-hmm. I'll screw up plenty, yet I'll, I do have that in mind as one of the ways to probably help me screw up less. But I'll tell you what's so important for me with my son is uh, I'll, want to love him with all my heart that, and I know he needs adversity. So what I'll screw him up, but I'll do it with love, but also the values that are so important to me that uh, I want to bathe him in is bravery, honesty, uh, love, kindness. That's so important to me. Uh, to expose my child to. And it's not like let's force feed those through and down his mouth, but you model it's them. More, it's the call is for me to embody them so fiercely because it's the modeling. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I appreciate you asking. Um, and I'm curious for you, you're, you're many steps ahead of me in the, the parenting path. 
I'm curious, what's most important for you with regard to how you raise your children and maybe even mistakes you've made that have caused you to course correct in a good way? I think that um, I do talk about parenting a lot. Everyone keeps asking me to start a parenting podcast. Um, we radically unschool our children, it's called. So we, we they've never been to school. We don't, um, they've never been vaccinated. They've never been forced to do anything that they don't want to do. We live by principles, not by rules. So we have... Um, we have punishment, what I call punishment in integrity. We have consequences that are natural based consequences that aren't based on fear. So if something destructive happens, there's no fear based consequence to control the behavior. There's a cause and effect. I, I live very much by cause and effect. So I like to teach my kids, you know, just because you didn't like the effect or you didn't expect it or didn't think it would happen doesn't mean it didn't happen. It happened. Mm -hmm. So now we have to address it and we have to figure out the cause of it. What was the missing resource and what can you do to um, to, to right the, the wrong, if you like, what can you do to, you know, and if something is a, you've acted in a way that isn't your highest value with children, this is, this is obviously they don't act according to their highest value, you know, but it's about teaching them about ethics and about values and about, so, um, and about breaching those ethics. So for me personally, I, how I measure, I think that the problem is many people don't measure their children based on values or ethics. They put them into um, an institution such as school, which I don't think is a good thing. Me personally, I think schools are damaging to children. I don't believe they're good for them. Um, and so they put them into schools. And so therefore the child's measurement now becomes, am I getting, what, what are my grades? And um, am I, you know, on the soccer team? And did I get on the cheerleading team? And am I valedictorian? And so those are very external measurements of success, which really aren't anything to do with the human being. So for me, because we don't send our kids to school, my measurement for my children is very different. I ask myself, not are they are they succeeding at math or geography or because we don't do any curriculum with our children whatsoever. They're, they learn through living life. Um, they're self-taught readers, writers, mathematicians, all of those things. We've never given them one single formal lesson ever. So for me, I say, are they are they critical thinkers? Can they look at data and evaluate it? Can they, um, are they good problem solvers? Do they know where to go to get an answer to a problem that they have? Um, are they kind, generous people? Do they understand their, um, their effect in the world? Do they understand how their behavior affects other people? Are they liars? Do they understand the consequence of stealing and lying and what the effects of those are and why they're bad? Do they, un do they understand good and bad? Do they have a, you know, a conceptual understanding of good and a conceptual understanding of bad? So I, I look at them and I evaluate them very differently. And are they happy, joyful individuals? Mm -hmm. Like I think the world has enough doctors and lawyers and accountants and really like, I don't, I don't see that as a measurement of success. My, my measurement of success for my kid is Kids are, are they happy? Are they joyful? Are they purposeful? And are they good human beings? If they want to go and live in the bloody wood, you know, and in a hut that they make for themselves, which my 12-year-old tells me, he, or my 13-year-old tells me he does want to do, I'm like, well, you go and do it with joy. But whatever you do, do it purposely and with joy and don't harm anyone in the process. Yeah. So I'm so happy for them to just be who they want to be. And as long as they are being that way, I feel I'm doing a good job. So... That's Freaking so awesome. And I'd love to be one of those people saying, yeah, Kim, you should start a parenting podcast. <laughs> I don't know. I just, I think that we, we don't think deeply enough. I, I always say that we sh there should actually be, you know, you're not allowed to drive a car without, you know, taking lessons and setting a test. Why, you know, I actually believe there should be some kind of parenting test that you need to take before you become a parent. Cause we're raising human beings here. Yeah, like, man. I, 
until my son was born, I never got it. But like be, him being born is just the most spiritual experience of my life. And that's when I got it. Like, wow, this is a human being, an expression of God. And I am the chosen steward of this most precious being. And, and I'm grateful I, we had him when I'm 39 years old, which God help us if I had him when I was 25 years old. I, you know, I don't think I would have been a terrible parent, but I probably would have. <laughs> and, yeah, that's aware. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel you on that. I mean, it is, I think, the biggest responsibility, um, the most important responsibility known to man, which is raising a child. And yeah, so I, I feel you. We, you just, you don't need a license to do it. No. Not for government regulations, like let's restrict. But I, I think the, the reverence for the, the being the spiritual guide of a human being, um, I think a lot of us in society would do well waking up to how profound that is. I always say to people, um, I was talking about today, actually, we had a team meeting and I said, uh, I said, oh, that we actually have just hired a new PA. She came in for an interview and she left. And I said to Christina, my COO, I said, that girl was well-loved <laughs> as a child. She was well-loved. Like you can tell she was well-loved, you know? And I, I think that if we loved our children deeply and we truly appreciated what it meant to be a parent, what it meant to shape the life of, of another human being, I think that we would, if we truly understood our own effect in the world and on a deeper level, the world would be a very different place. But I guess that this is what you do, and I want to get back to it. This is what you do through... Um, through your comedy. And I think that what many people miss about you, which is why I was so delighted to talk about it. Have you ever seen the movie As Good As It Gets with Jack Nicholson? Oh yeah, it's been a while, but I have. Do you know at the very end where he gives her like the ultimate compliment and he goes, the way you, you know, I watch you bring people food and I, and I, and it, you know, and they don't get, they just met the greatest woman alive. And he goes, hmm. and it makes the reason why it, you know, it makes me feel good about me because I get it. That's kind of how I feel about you. <laughs> so, I love that. You're like, is this a compliment for me, Kim? Or I don't. <laughs> Let me tell you what I actually way. mean. Right. So here is why I think that you are possibly one of the most phenomenal human beings I've ever met. Because what what many people I think miss about your comedy is that you're not really talking about gluten or coronavirus or masks or whatever. You're talking about the deeper issues that underpin human behavior that even allow these things to exist. So I loved that. I loved your video that you did uh, in 2015, wasn't it? How to become gluten intolerant. Yeah. Um, I just thought it was amazing. And I can see how, you know, people, people who exist on the surface structure level and what I call content. So I, I like to separate things into content and process. So content is, I am offended because I am actually gluten intolerant. And how dare he say that I'm making a problem over this? And I can totally try on why people be that. And then there's other people underneath who go, Oh, interesting. So this may actually be something that people create in order to get attention, which isn't a bad thing. It's just that you need to become aware of the fact that you enjoy suffering and causing a problem where none exists in order to get attention. <laughs> and all of these different things that, you know, that unfortunately we get reprogrammed sometimes badly as children to, you know, that to be given attention for things that really are not attention worthy. And I, it, I feel that that is the message that you're trying to bring with your gluten videos and with your, your satire and your comedy. Is that true, first of all? And secondly, is that something that you do purposely 
with that in mind, or am I totally making shit up? <laughs> no, you're, you're not making shit up. You're reading my deeper intentions. So thank you for seeing me and my true intentions, mm -hmm. Kim. And yeah, for me, the, one of the wisest people I've ever known was one of my original mentors named John McMullen. And he, he had just a simple saying. I remember it from the first day I met him, December 3rd, 2003. He said, there's always a story under the story. And we can get stuck at the literal level and just, you know, stuck in this story of like, oh, he's, he's making fun of gluten. That's, that's bad or that's good. Is it? But I think consciousness expands when we go to the story under the story or we stop focusing on the literal and we see the symbolic, something greater expressed in the finite. So for me, yeah, like the, the gluten intolerant video that was born out of my, I don't know, at the time, a decade and a half of being gluten intolerant. And I started to notice like, huh, I act like an asshole a lot of times. Like I go home, visit my parents and they're so generous, like they'll have food for me. And I would just be like, oh, there's gluten in that. I can't eat that. You so you are that. actually gluten intolerant? I didn't know that. Yeah, I'm like gluten intolerant light. I can eat it, but I won't shit myself. <laughs> uh, so, but I do better without it. Right. So eventually I started realizing like, yeah, I'm gluten intolerant, but right now I'm not being gluten intolerant. I'm being an asshole. So I started to realize the psychology underneath my behaviors that I was just sweeping under the rug of, oh, I'm gluten intolerant. This is how I am. And like, pick your poison. We do that. Whether it's veganism, paleoism, being keto, or like, fucking that. Like, I want my health, my family to be healthy, and there's the coronavirus, or whatever it might be. We have the self-righteous behaviors, the need for attention, how we become significant through self-destructive ways, and then blame someone else for how we feel. So that's the, yeah, the underlying human psychology dare I say the underlying undealt with human psychology is typically what I'm poking at in the videos. And certainly the past year, I've been doing a lot of videos on something to do with the coronavirus pandemic, things like that. And though I have my own opinions about the literal aspects of the lockdowns, coronavirus, all that stuff, the videos are about something more, just like you're pointing to. And, and one of those things I like to point people to is uh, feel this blind obedience you have in your psyche. What is all that about? Feel this spot of a lack of self-responsibility. What's that all about? What, what makes you that way? And, and, and when you're singing the gospel of fear, like, What's that all about? How are you getting your emotional needs met through fear? And, and you know, this spot over here, feel about like how you haven't actually thought about this issue, but how you're just, you've taken on board what you've heard 9,000 times on the news. So, you know, we all have our shadow self. And for me, the shadow self isn't necessarily bad. I, I define the shadow self as, aspects of yourself that you're unaware of. We all have them. And, and I like to help people make 
become aware of themselves, whether it's a part of themselves carrying pain, whether it's a part of themselves, it's their greatest gift. A lot of people aren't aware of that, but hopefully the videos can get people more in touch with themselves, their feelings, so they can discover like, oh, this is why I do this. And if it doesn't serve them, they can be a little more empowered to not do that and get people more empowered with their own thinking. Um, not my thinking, not the news is thinking, but their own thinking. So that's a lot to ask of a freaking comedy video. Yet that's, that's the direction of intention that I have in the comedy. Why is that important to you? I love humanity. Um, and, and one of the people that falls into the category is, uh, of humanity is me. So I'll, I'll own everything I just said about the intention of my videos. I freaking need, like, I feel way more whole, way more empowered, way more fulfilled from the inside out when I'm making up my own mind, when I'm thinking for myself, when I notice like, holy shit, I'm doing this and it doesn't serve me. And here's why I'm doing this. I'm being a slave to something that helped me in the past where I create self-victimization to become significant, but it's like, hmm, doesn't serve me anymore. So I need it. We, uh, I think a lot of people, they, they teach what they need the most and, mm. and I do myself to give myself all these things and I still need it. So I'm highly motivated to invite other people to drink from the same well of not only just self-awareness, but self-empowerment. And with that being such a fan of humanity, I think one of the things that we, our society does significantly to disempower themselves is to rely on people outside of themselves to shape their perspectives, to shape their practices, to shape what they do and don't do with their families. So I think self-empowerment needs to come from within, but we're, we're outsourcing a hell of a lot of our truth and our ways of living to authorities that uh, don't deserve our, um, um, our allegiance. Right. Right. And actually, when you were talking there, I actually, um, I actually started to get a little bit emotional because I realized that, um, I think that people can make the mistaken assumption about you, certainly about me, um, that we, uh, that we're actually, that we're flippant and that we don't care and that we like to make fun of things because we can, or it's some kind of attention seeking behavior. But I think this is why I, I, I'm so, in, so excited to, I guess, interview you and talk to you is because, um, I, what I see or what I felt from you was, and I certainly not hearing you speak about it is that actually where, where it comes from, what we do in the world is from a deep love of humanity and a, a real need, I guess, for a wonderful better word, for people to feel better in their lives, to feel better, to do better, to be happier, to be more joyful. It actually comes from such a uh, an altruistic, I guess, or such a, a, a such a a place of of true humanity. I I think that does that even make sense of what I'm saying? It's like it's I'm not making fun of coronavirus or the left and the right or whatever because I can or because I'm a comedian or I want to like get more YouTube views. 
it seems that you're driven driven to try to make the world a better place. And how you do that is through your comedy and through taking concepts that are very well known that people can relate to and inviting people in to think deeper about the issue simply because thinking deeper about the issue will bring them to a probably a better, a deeper sense of self-awareness, which will ultimately cause them to be happier and to lead more joyful, more joyful lives and raise more joyful kids and have you know, a friend of mine used to say, he who has the most joy wins. And I always yeah. loved that quote. He who has the most joy wins. What else are we put here for except to feel better? Yeah. And is that is that what underpins it all, JP? It It is. And you've articulated it way better than I ever could. And hell, even if that wasn't what it's all about, I would say yes to that because <laughs> it makes me sound more intelligent. But, but truthfully, yes. And, and man, I think joy comes not from necessarily getting what we want because what we want is oftentimes born out of our ego, not Mm -hmm. necessarily our true self. I think joy comes when we are true to ourselves in spite of what the external circumstances are, though oftentimes they improve when we're more true to ourselves, but being true to ourselves, man, I, I think when a person lets their heart their higher self, their heart, whatever you want to call it. But when a person lets their heart be their guiding light in life, that's where the joy comes from. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When they outsource the guidance, the guiding light of their life, it's not fulfilling. I mean, we all know just classic overused example, someone in a, a job they don't like, but it's secure, you know, their their joy just gets sapped. And it's not because of the job, it's because of the lack of following their heart. So ultimately, uh, you know, the, the comedy, it's not designed to get anybody to believe any one thing. It's hopefully designed to get people to cut the scar tissue that binds them to guide their lives from something that's not their own miraculous heart. Yeah. My sister said to me once years ago, I'll never forget. She said to me, Kim, she said, you'll never, you know, she said, it just upsets me when I see you, you know, I was always posting about, you know, I'm always advocating for children and children's rights and children's, Mm -hmm. you know, and peaceful parenting and nonviolent parenting and nonviolence in the world. And I used to be a lot more vocal years ago about it, except now I have this huge platform so I can talk about shit and people listen. But years ago, I would have been like fighting the good cause. And she said to me once, you know, Kim, you're, you're never going to change people's minds. And I said, Carrie, I'm not trying to change people's minds. And she said, well, what are you trying to do? I said, I'm trying to reach the people who think like me, the -hmm. people who are open to hearing this. I'm not trying to, I, I am, I completely know there's a whole segment of the world, the larger portion actually, who can't even hear what I'm saying. But there's this tiny little portion who are struggling or who are open, who are ready to hear what I'm saying, who go, oh, hang on, I'm gonna listen to this girl for a minute. Yeah. Don't worry, it's fine. So, um, and and I said, it's those people that I'm trying to reach. I'm not trying to change people's minds. I'm trying to, the ones whose hearts are already slightly open, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to reach them with my message. You know, I'm not trying to actually change people's minds. And, but you just have to be, um, you have to know you're going to piss people off when you're doing it. Here, I have a question for you. <laughs> and it's a little left field, right? So um, have you done any of the, I, you have, I've seen on your Instagram. So the, the I, you know, the whole Wim Hof method that's, mm-hmm. that's out there at the minute and the ice baths. So, well, listen, I think it's great. My husband's doing ice baths at the minute. He's trying to get me to do one every day. I'm like, no, 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 no. I have a viscera on my stomach that like, if, if cold water goes up over my stomach, it actually triggers a fear. So I definitely need okay. to work that with my coach. Um, but 
I have a theory about the 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 Wim Hof movement. Do you want to hear it? The cult. Yes, the I cult do. I'd of love Wim to Hof. So I believe one of my um, just to get into the deeper issues of humanity. One of my personal beliefs is that the problem with the world at the minute is that we don't. Um, years ago, our ancestors used to have to work, like really yeah. work to produce value. They had to work to feed their families. They had to plow the land and walk for miles and, you know, and groom their horses. And so there was a lot of physical activity going on. And I'm a bodybuilder. So I understand the, um, the benefits of physical activity and obviously, you know, what happens after you train. I know you train as well. Mm. And so I think that I was, I'm, I've been watching curiously the, uh, you know, everyone getting into freezers and ice baths and all of this stuff happening on Instagram, just watching this movement curiously take on board and being really interested because truly JP, I have so much adversity in my life with my company, my four kids, my training that I really do not need an ice bath. I do not. <laughs> any more adversity in my life. And it occurred to me recently, oh shit, the reason why things like this are taking off at the minute is because people truly don't have enough adversity in their lives. Yeah. And so they, for a minute, when they get into an ice bath, they feel alive. They feel their bodies. They feel their emotions. They have to, to deal with this complex, you know, these complex feelings that come up. And for a moment, they feel alive and they're connected to self. Yeah. And that, that is a lot of what the ice bath movement is from. You can slap the whole, oh, it helps with recovery and opens the capillaries and all of the yeah. surface stuff that people talk about. But what are your feelings on on that, on humans, on where the world is going in terms of our values, our society? Like, yeah. is that too I, deep I, a question? Is, have I left it too open, too vague? No, I, I think you and I are plugged into the same brain sometimes. I look at, you know, the ice baths, which, you know, in the winter here, I'm in my pool every day because I love it when it's cold and I have the same view of them. Like I don't do it for the physiological effects. Like I so don't care about it. I do it for the psychological effect of I'm doing something uncomfortable. I'm doing a, a, a training routine of adversity. It's something I don't want to do. And I do believe the single most important formula for growing as a human or whatever you identify as in the moment, growing as an entrepreneur, a parent, but, but just a kangaroo. freaking human a kangaroo is get uncomfortable. Uh, 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 an avoidance of discomfort, emotional, physical, but any, all of it, because it all counts. An avoidance of discomfort, I think is the principal reason why people aren't happy by the way, I mentioned following one's heart. Following one's heart is so uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. There's so much fear and so much emotion that comes up around it. So for me, getting into an ice bath, that's a training. That's training. I'm going into discomfort. I know it's going to be uncomfortable. I'm going to do it anyway. And then I'll experience I'm okay afterwards. So much like a, you know, a, a soccer player might be training in the gym. They're doing lunges. They have weight on their back. They're not doing that to do better lunges in the gym. I could give a shit about their performance in the gym. I could give a shit about the pool. What I love is the carryover into the field of play of life. So that soccer fields, soccer players doing it. So they're more capable on the soccer field. So when there's a, a, a moment where they can enter the zone of discomfort or avoid it, they'll have trained themselves. I go towards discomfort and I'm better equipped to get through it. So that's why I love to do it. And, and you mentioned like, yeah, if you have 
a lot of adversity in your life already and you've got the mindset of, yeah, I don't avoid it. I fucking go into it. I don't mm-hmm. I walk into the flames. Awesome. You know, to me, it's like you're a soccer player with enormously strong legs. You might not need like what will improve you isn't necessarily the lunges in the gym. It might be some other element. So, but yeah, I agree. We're living in a world where we have vilified discomfort. We've made it a bad thing. We've made it such a bad thing that like everybody who finishes the race, we all get the fucking trophy because we're so afraid of a child experiencing the discomfort of their own emotion. It might be like a sense of like, Ooh, I didn't do very good or fear or whatever. Like we're vilifying our soul. Carl Jung has said, feelings are the language of our soul. So we're teaching kids that your feelings are a bad guy. No, your fucking feelings are your best friend. That's your soul right there. So because we live in this culture that's vilified discomfort, we realize like we're, we're living in this nerf world. And, and thus, I think hum- people's true nature it seeks out what it needs. We can only nerf the world so long. We can only handicap our, ourselves so long before our true nature starts reaching for the nutrients we need. And in this case, one of the nutrients we need is discomfort. Mm-hmm. And if that's in the form of ice baths to help break the spell of fucking gluten intolerance towards adversity and discomfort, then cool. I think that's a great tool. But ultimately, I think what serves us best is when we're living in a state of mind where we have the capability to look at something that's going to be uncomfortable, whether that's a tough conversation with our spouse or leaving a job because we know I need to pursue this or saying no to this or no to that, standing up for what's right, speaking our minds on social media, even though we know cancel culture is going to come at us. When it has a sense of purpose, we go for it anyway. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That ultimately I think is, uh, what we need and what we're going for. So yeah, I, I yeah, love, I, I, I love about. discomfort. And Me you know, too. one of the reasons why I love working out it, yeah, I like what it does for my body, but I love the discomfort of it. I love how that trains my psyche to hopefully have better carryover into the field of life. I love bodybuilding. I actually always liken it to, I I make a lot of parallels, especially in this podcast between bodybuilding and business building, because I built my business at the same time I built my body. And in the gym, um, I do a form of training called high intensity training, which means you have to train to failure. So we, we go to failure in the last two to four reps of every set. And that's truly where the muscle grows. It's forced reps, half reps, you know, whatever you need to do to get through it. I have a massive physically and actually in the bodybuilding world trainer. And, you know, I think that one of the the things talking about the sports day where everyone gets a prize and there's no winner. I think that not only are we shielding our children from feeling from from feeling their emotional bandwidth, if you like, we're also teaching them that failure is bad when actually failure mm. is the only way we grow and learn. Yeah. It's, I love failure in my company. I always say we either succeed or we learn. And if there's a failure, I go, yes, great. There's a failure. What's the missing resource? I'm like, where, wh- what do we need? Do we need a new person? Do we need a VA? Do we need an extra computer? Do we need, if we failed, it's because we're growing so fast that the system broke. 
Mm. And you know, that's why I said to the PI we were advertising or we were interviewing today, I said to her, we grow so fast that we break continually. And breaking is great because yeah. then it shows us where we have a missing resource. And then we can fill that missing resource and we can continue to grow. So she was like, oh, I love that analogy. But I think this is the problem of what we're doing with our children. So I would love to even circle back to that for just a second and say that I think that the problem is, first of all, when our children cry, it triggers us. And we're like, oh, it triggers our inner child. So we want to stop them from crying. We're, oh, no, 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 it's okay. Everybody gets a prize. Their crying makes us so deeply uncomfortable because we're not okay with our own emotions. And then we train them that failure is bad. So no wonder we have a whole bunch of millennials running around feeling the world owes them a living and they've never failed and they're entitled to everything. And they're like, you know, the world owes them a living. I've employed a few millennials. Oh God, it's been very, very, very not a good idea. Um, and so I just think that, you know, I truly think that in order for the world to change, which I'm very passionate about, I believe we need more self-awareness. I believe we need more self-awareness. We need more discomfort. Our ethics need to catch up with our technology. Um, and I believe that, you know, it all starts with parenting our children. And I loved it whenever I saw you had a son because I said, yes, there's another good parent in the world. So going to parent well. I hope you have more children, JP. I hope you have like four or five or six. <laughs> <laughs> I think the world needs more parents like you and Amber. Tell me about your wife. I know we're, I was like, I can't believe we've been on for like 50 minutes. So yeah. tell me about Amber. Oh, she's amazing. She's just the best mother. And, you know, she's been, uh, she's been a vegan for a number of years. She's yoga background. She uh, does one-on-one -on -one business coaching with uh, women wellness entrepreneurs. And yeah, she's just awesome. I met her in Costa Rica and yeah, she, and not to sound too cliche, but she's my greatest teacher. She helps, she helps me become a more whole person, which by the way, when I say she's my greatest teacher, I realize that's also a passive aggressive thing. We can say like, it means they fucking piss me off. So there's a lot to learn. <laughs> but that's and of great. course we have our challenges, but truly she does help me. I mean, living in this closed circuit of energy with her called our relationship I, I'm able to connect with more of my manhood and claim my manhood and claim my missing pieces of self because of just her brilliant grace. And granted, it certainly takes awareness and effort on my part. So yeah, I'm just so incredibly grateful for her and her light just shines so bright. She's always so happy and optimistic and yeah. So she's my greatest blessing. Oh, she's absolutely, she's wonderful. I started following her on Instagram after, you know, I, you'd, you'd tagged her a couple of times. I didn't realize that she was, she was pregnant. And then of course I started following her journey and I just, I think it's beautiful. I think that she, um, I can see you guys have a great relationship. So I was just interested to hear your projections of her. <laughs> <laughs> which I loved, which are so beautiful and pure. Um, do you know, I had like this whole list of questions to ask you and I didn't actually uh, ask you any of them, but um, this has just been just absolutely amazing for me to have a chat with you. I would love to ask you though, before we finish, is there anything that you wished I had have asked you that you would like to talk about before we finish? Can I, I can give you the stage if you would like I, it? I, I love that question. Um yeah, I I would say, yeah, yeah. Part of me wishes, Kim. This mm. is how deficient you are. Um, <laughs> I love the question. What do you think is most missing in the world? And my answer to that is, it's a little bit synonymous with something I said earlier. But I'm going to throw a different answer with it. What I think is most missing in the world is 
um, people's relationship with God. Now, I say God, that's kind of uncomfortable for me because I know there's so many ways to mis- misinterpret that, perceive that, or like fucking sky's a Bible thumper. Like, mm, I've actually never read the Bible. Probably should probably benefit from it. But when I say people's relationship with God, what God means to me is whatever is greater than yourself. And I think that's what's most missing because when we're truly connected and aware of our connection, receive guidance from that connection with what's greater than ourselves. And you might call that mother nature. You might call that your higher self. You might call it the collective consciousness. You might call it God and fantasize about a man in the sky with a beard, like whatever greater than yourself means to you. Man, that, that is humanity's unstoppable when people are connected to what's greater than themselves. <sighs> We don't take shitty advice. We're not manipulated by corporations. We're not manipulated by corrupt politicians. Because guess what? We trust something far more than them. And if our, our you know, relationship with what's greater than ourselves, it speaks to us through our heart, our feelings, our gut instinct. And when they're saying, for example, how I interpret it, when they're saying, don't see your friends and family, I'd be like, mm, I hear those words, consider that information. And ooh, uh, my heart and feelings is telling me something different. Mm. So uh, based on my relationship with what's greater than me, and I consider that to be far more intelligent than any fucking human being, uh, I'm going to abide by my relationship with God, my relationships with what's greater than me. And And not that that source necessarily tells all people the same thing. No, we have different relationships. Yet, I think humanity is unstoppable because it means we're we're being guided by the highest source of good we could possibly imagine. Uh, You know, there's evil in the world. And and I define evil as anything, anybody that wants to control you in a way that is not in your best interest. There's evil in the world. Might be an abusive husband, might be an abusive politician, might be a power-hungry business person, power-hungry politician that uh, wants to use you, manipulate other people so they can have more money in their bank account. That's evil. And evil only affects us for the most part. Evil only affects us when we become obedient to it. We only become obedient to it when we're in a state of fear. Mm. And that state of fear is typically what clouds our feeling-oriented connection with God or wherever we come from. So my thought is that I don't have anybody's answers, but I do know what people are connected to has not only answers for them, but they have answers that are in their highest good. So I think we need more connection with God. I love that. I love that. And my interpretation of that is critical, more critical thinking skills. You know, I got people always say to me, you're so defiant. You don't obey the rules. And I go, no, no, understand when information comes in, I evaluate it. I don't naturally go, well, I'm not doing that because they told me to. I go, oh, interesting. Okay. So they've said that we need to do this. How does this fit with, let me evaluate 
the data based on what I have. Let me let me look at the data and evaluate it and I'll make a, a decision based on what I believe is right for me. And I'm happy to have the consequences of whatever that is. And, you know, I think that we've lost the power of evaluation. We operate on fear, but a lot of a lot of that JP, I believe, is trained through our parenting and our schools. We're parented with fear. We're taught with fear. We're trained to obey fear. We're taught what we're taught what to think, not how to think. Yeah. I think if the, if we concentrate on teaching our children how to be critical thinkers, which the government does not want you to do, by the way, they don't want government, they don't want critical thinkers because, you know, <laughs> imagine if everybody thought for themselves, imagine <laughs> what the chaos that there would be in the world if people or, actually could think. Or, or the freaking peace in the world. <laughs> I know. Well, which is the uh, the funny part, really. But and that's chaos to them. I get chaos, that. chaos. You know. So I love that you finished with that. Thank you so much. Um, thank you so much for being here with us. You've no idea. I've had thousands of people message me on Instagram. Go. When is the interview? Are you going to do it live? Can we watch it? When's it going to go live? So because people are gagging for it, it's going out next Thursday. So we're going to put it out really quickly. Um, do you have anything else that you would like to promote or tell my audience about? Where can they find you? Do you want to promote any of your comedy? stuff or your nights you know, sweet of you to even ask him i would just simply say uh you can find me my website is awakenwithjp.com i've got my awaken warrior newsletter list you can sign up for if you want to be super connected with me in spite of any censorship um so awakenwithjp.com is a good spot to connect with me at and on instagram as well awaken with jp yep awaken with jp across everything yeah, and we're going to link to everything in the show notes as well, so they can just click on the show notes and um, and find you. JP Sears, this was an honor and a privilege. Um, I know I'm like kind of, <laughs> I'm like brown nosing all over you, but really, truly, it, it was really nice for me to have a conversation. So thank you so much for making my day. <laughs> thank you, Kim. Such a joy to talk with you, sister. And uh, I will chat to you soon. Now, please tell me that you loved JP as much as I do. Wasn't he just the most spectacular human being? I, you know, I just loved hearing him talk about his childhood, about why he does what he does, about, you know, even the fact, I, it never even occurred to me that actually the reason that he he makes the videos in the way that he makes them and he he uses comedy as a vehicle was to to really make the world a better place because he has this in himself. He's ultimately a scared little boy, you know, underneath it all back to his childhood. And he's just trying to make people feel better through being more aware. He's trying to raise awareness because he realizes that by raising awareness, you live a more joyful and purposeful life. And that's, that's why I do what I do as well. And so, Oh, it was just one of the best hours of my entire life, I have to say, talking to someone uh, on JP's level with such awareness. So if you're listening to this, JP, which I hope you are, thank you so much for choosing to spend your time with me. It was truly, truly joyful. You definitely brought more joy to the world, JP, today, to my life and hopefully hopefully to the life of my listeners. Now, guys, don't forget that if you want to win a copy of a Sculpted Vegan program, simply leave a review wherever you're listening to this podcast, especially on this one. Send me a screenshot on Instagram at 
the Sculpted Vegan. And um, you can be in with a chance of winning one of our Sculpted Vegan programs, including the $1,500 Sculpt and Shred program. And all that is left for me to say now is thank you, JP, for coming on the podcast. Thank you to you, my listeners, because without you, there would be nobody even listen to these podcasts and no reason for doing them. And I wouldn't get guests as good as JP. We actually have Jordan Peterson coming up as well in a few weeks. So I know you're going to want to tune in for that one. Um, and all that's left for me to say is goodbye. Hope you have a wonderful week. I love you. I appreciate you. I think you're all wonderful wherever you are in the world. Take care. Have a joyful week. And I will speak to you again on another episode of the Kim Constable podcast. Bye for now.